The icebreaker locks any moment. Please get back. Get fired. Another ain't gonna be late. Yeah, you're right. How we got the police in on this? Who knows whose home is going to go next? Oh, there's a maniac in these parts, I reckon. Someone did the lightning causing fire. Maniac or not, there's got to be a stop to all this. None of us is safe in our beds. The man of investigation. That's what we must do. Present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Tonight, the Lulworth Cove mystery. The summer of 1895 was a particularly hot one by English standards. Well over 80 in the shade for weeks on end, or so it seemed. I found it particularly trying, for I was aware that most of my patients were feeling the effects of the heat. Those with serious complaints were enfeebled by long hours of perspiring in bed, and others had their minor troubles aggravated by the bad tempers of their families. I was fairly irritable myself when one day I returned to Baker Street to find Holmes sharing a cool jug of lemonade with a young gentleman I'd not met before. Ah, Watson, come in, my dear fellow. You must be exhausted. Put your feet up. Have a glass of cold lemonade. Meet young Inspector Gavin. Oh, how do you do, Inspector? It's a great pleasure to meet you, Dr. Watson. I've heard so much about you. Of course. Gavin is from Dorset. I knew his father. He was at Scotland Yard, and Gavin's determined to follow in his footsteps. (laughs) A long way to go yet, Mr. Holmes. I've only just been made inspector, and to trust my luck, I've been landed with an almost impossible task. Yes, you were just about to tell me about it when Watson arrived. Take the lemonade, Watson. It really is most refreshing. Oh, thank you. Ah, yes, yes. I do speak freely in front of Watson. He's been by my side through more cases than I care to remember. Now tell us, what is it that's troubling you? Well, as you know, I'm attached to headquarters in Dorchester, and we receive reports of all cases that happen along the coast of Dorset. Recently, our attention has been drawn to a series of fires at Lulworth Cove. Actually, it's a fairly small, closed community. There's a string of summer cottages that are shut up during the winter months and open up on holidays and during the summer by their owners or guests who rent them. Well, about a year ago, one of these summer cottages was burned to the ground. No one was able to find a specific cause for the fire. In the end... It was thought that a tramp had broken into the place and somehow caused the blaze. Is that what the owner thought? Did he claim insurance? Yes, it was a very modest amount. Algernon Francis was the owner's name. He moved some of the rescued furniture neighbors had managed to get out of the fire into a nearby house and decided to live there until he could rebuild on the previous site. But this fire was only the first of a shocking series. Several more houses along the coastline were altogether or partially destroyed, including Algernon Francis' temporary home. Mm, that's most interesting. Great continue. Oh, naturally, the local people were up in arms, and particularly when they thought that they had found a reason for the fires. You know better than I do, Mr. Holmes, that the place to pick up gossip is in the local pub. And the local pub at Lulworth Cove is the seagull's nest. 
A meeting extraordinary was held there, presided over by Mr. William Spaulding, a middle-aged bachelor who lives alone in his family home on the cliffs and, being of independent means, gives most of his time to civic and philanthropic enterprises. He had the full support of the locals. <coughs> it must be clear to everyone that all of these fires cannot have been caused by accident. The incidents are assuming the proportions of a social disaster. Why are these fires occurring? It must be the work of a single person or a select number of people. But there is another reason for setting fire to a house. It can't be insurance as it applies to too many owners. And their insurance companies... If it's the work of a madman, then it don't need no reason, do it? But there is evidence that certain items of value have not been found after the fire. Articles of value, paintings, furniture and family silver have not been recovered. Now, supposing the fires were simply a cover-up for important burglaries, how about that? We must take prompt measures against any repetition of these dastardly crimes. I suggest a citizens' emergency committee. Ah, Guards to be posted at various points. A a patrol system in direct touch with the police. Uh, Splendid idea. Spalding must be the chairman of the committee, of course. I second that. Let's form the committee straight away. I don't mind. I don't mind. So, Spalding was elected and immediately made application to Dorchester for help. I was sent down and made inquiries. Quite honestly, Mr. Holmes, I'm baffled. Nothing else has happened. By that, I mean that there have been no new fires. But the place has turned into a village of suspicion. Neighbor is turning against neighbor, friend against friend. Becoming a place of locked doors, drawn curtains, and whispered suspicion. Yes, I can understand that. The fact is that I am now known in the district. (laughs) Wherever I go, people are so cautious that I can get nowhere. I was wondering if uh, you and Dr. Watson wouldn't consider taking a few days off and coming down to Dorset. You could stay at the Seagull's Nest and, well, perhaps pick up a few clues that may help me. I'm anxious to prove myself for this case. Anything you advise will be of great value. Well, I do admit that the problem is an intriguing one. Naturally, you feel the pyromaniac is a local man. Uh, I, uh, I beg your pardon? The pyromaniac, the person who causes fires. The uh, arsonist. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, must be local. Otherwise, uh, how would he know what was the value in these houses? Right. Well, Watson, what do you say? Well, I'd very much like a few days off down by the sea, especially to get out of London in this heat. I shan't have much to attend to over the weekend. Yes, I'm all for it. That's good. Then our answer is yes. We shall be delighted to stay at the Seagull's Nest if we can get in there. Oh, I'll see to that. I'll have a word with Adam Geary. He's the landlord. Nice enough old fellow, but crippled with rheumatism and gets about in a wheelchair. His daughter is Anne Geary, who's a power of strength in the community. And there is a, a third member of the household in that pub. His name is Pat Boyce, and uh, I'm very much afraid that he's the fly in the ointment, as it were. Oh, in what way? Well, I suppose every English country village is supposed to have one. He's a bit uh, simple-like, weak in the head, the village idiot. He can't speak all that well. It never makes much sense. Anne can look after him and she can get things out of him, but no one else can. Of course, you can imagine that lots of the locals think he is the cause of all the trouble. The uh, pyromaniac, as you call him. Do you think that, Captain? Uh, No, no, I I don't. 
Well, you come down and make up your own mind, Mr. Holmes. Shall I make a definite booking for you? Two days later, we were down in Lulworth Cove, Dorset. The weather was still hot and the skies cloudless. But the sea breezes were wonderful. And the girl's nest, a most entrancing old inn. Adam Geary and his daughter Anne made us most welcome. And, of course, it wasn't long before the mystery of the outbreak of the fires was discussed. <laughs> all is quiet at the moment, of course, but uh, all this many who thinks it's just a lull before the storm. Oh, no, Dad, that's no way to think about it. Rather say that the precautions that we've been taking have had the desired effect. Mr. Spalding has done a wonderful job of the organization. Every citizen who belongs knows exactly where he or she has got to be when they go on duty. I'm sure it's having the desired effect. Uh, but if this man who caused the fires is in some way mentally unbalanced, then surely he must be apprehended, regardless of whether there are more outbreaks or not. Ah, that's what I said. That's the work of the police. We're just protecting our own homes. And perhaps it'll stop now. Well, damage has still been done. Well, imagine what it would be like if this pub were to catch fire. Me in this stern wheelchair, unable to get out. Oh, no, that's myself. enough, Dad. Why must you always look on the black side? Oh, have you had sufficient, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson? If so, then I'll be clearing away. Oh, would you like another helping? Oh, an excellent supper. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. No, for me. Thank you. It was spent. My garden, garden boy. How many times I told you not to burst into a private parlour like that, eh? Oh, Tom, Daddy, Patsy, quiet now. Don't try to speak. Oh, just be quiet. Oh, that's it. Now, these are two new guests staying here at the inn. This is Mr. Sherlock Holmes, and this is Dr. Watson. Now, you were smiling, touch your cap whenever you see them. You do so now. Good evening, Patsy. Good evening. Oh, get him out of here, Anna. You're embarrassing our guests. Get him out. Please, please, not at all. As a medical man, I'm used to dealing with all kinds of people like this. The main thing is that these people are, are not to be frightened now. Just ask him to sit down. Oh, how very pleased I am to hear you say that, Dr. Watson. The people here don't understand, Pat. They think because he's slow that he doesn't understand. But he's brighter than anyone thinks. Now sit down, Patrick. If there's anything to tell me, you'll do so better if you sit quietly first. Oh, gracious. Now what? Adam, man, come on, there's another fire. The cottage up on the far side of the cove. The light all over. Come on, everyone. I can hardly describe the scene near the beach at Lulworth Cove. By the time we reached the burning cottage, half the local population was there. The fire had got a good hold, but a bucket chain was formed, and it was soon brought under control. Men rushed to and fro, helping to salvage furniture and valuables from the rooms. Eventually, the fire brigade moved us all away, and tired and exhausted, our clothes and bodies covered with ash and water, we realized our task was over. Holmes was able to ask a few questions. Anyone know who raised the alarm, the first to see the flames? I did. I can see the place clear enough from my cottage across there. First I thought it was the sunset reflected in the windows. Then I realized it was a fire inside the front room. I came on over to confirm this. There was no one about? You didn't see anyone. Then that young simpleton Pat Royce came down from behind the cliff. I sent him to raise the alarm in the main village while I got the neighbors out. We've been working like slaves ever since. Who does the place belong to? A friend of mine, Major Higgins. He's away up north at the moment. I'll have to send him a wire first thing in the morning. Oh, it's a sorry mess. No mistake. I agree. You've done an excellent job of work. What is your name, by the way? Hall. Alex Hall. Well, perhaps you'd like to call in at the Seagull's Rest for a pint of beer, Mr. Hall. 
I'd be very pleased to stand you a drink. Mm, and I'd be very pleased to accept one. Give me half an hour to clean myself up and I'll be over. The bar trade at the Seagull's Nest was extremely busy that evening. So much so that when Inspector Gavin arrived, Holmes suggested that a handful of us retire to the small private parlour, taking our beers with us. It was there that the questioning continued. I take it that quite a lot of Major Higgins' furniture and valuables have been saved. Yes, thank goodness. Poor man. Only been away a couple of days. It was well planned, all right. No one on duty at that time in the afternoon. Oh, wicked shame. Something's got to be done. You seem to be making no progress at all, Inspector. We're supposed to be here with me in my wheelchair. We're unable doing to get our best, Mr. Gary. That's right. That's enough of that, Dad. Let's concentrate upon what has happened, not what might happen. The thing is that I know now that it's definitely a planned fire to cover for a robbery. How do you know that, Mr. Holmes? Because I know the Major's house. I know that he has a large grandfather clock in his sitting room. Well, I was one of the first to get into the place when the fire started. The clock wasn't there. It had been stolen before the place was set alight. Mm. Well, that's a valuable clue. You're sure of this? Of course I'm sure. It has the most distinctive chime. A very fine piece of work. And it wasn't there. That's most interesting. I imagine the grandfather clock is not an easy thing to steal. Ah, Mr. Spaulding, do come in. I uh, heard it all gathered here. I, I feel it's my duty as chairman of the Citizens' Emergency Committee to demand that you question the boy, Pat Royce, Inspector. Pat? What for? It's clear that he's involved in some way. He's always around on the scene of these fires before anyone else. Uh, the poor lad is soft in the head and... Uh, Probably doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, Dr. Watson here is a medical man, and he will bear me out when I say that many deranged people are fascinated by fire. It's a known fact. Well, I don't know that I can agree with that, Mr. I most certainly cannot. I'm surprised at you, William. I really am. Just because Pat's back wouldn't can't answer for himself, you naturally pick on him. It's grossly unfair. Well, now, Annie, we must face facts. We really must. Oh, it's no use, Inspector, trying to get the news out of Pat. You know how frightened he gets. The fire has scared him. He won't be able to talk, even to me, for some time. If there's any questions to do, I think I should do it. But please don't disturb him tonight. Well, it's up to you, Inspector. But the folk in these parts have had enough. If they do find the person responsible, then I, I won't answer for their actions. There could be a lynching. Tempers of that high. There will be nothing of the kind. And I refuse to be pushed into making irresponsible accusations. I shall conduct this investigation in my own way. Methodically and as thoroughly as possible. It will mean personal interviews with everyone concerned, alone. I think mass meetings only stir up hysteria. Now, having said that, I should like to start with you, Miss Geary. Will everyone else please return to the bar? I shall call you all in turn. You and Dr. Watson will stay, won't you, Mr. Holmes? And so the questioning continued in a more reasonable manner. The inspector interviewed some dozen of the local people who lived near the scene of the latest fire. Holmes listened intently, sprawled in a chair by the open window, his head upon his chest and long fingers pressed together. He made no comment and eventually retired for the night in a somber mood. I found it hard to sleep, and when I did, my mind was filled with the sight of flames and the smell of burning timber. Morning dawned crisp and clean, and Anne Geary served us an excellent breakfast. I've been talking to young Pat, Mr. Holmes. He's in a rare state. Couldn't get much out of him. But he says he saw someone leaving Major Higgins' garden just before that forest started yesterday. Ah, that's most interesting. Were you able to get an identification from the lad? Not yet. 
He goes all to pieces when he tries to explain. Takes ages for him to calm down. But I'll try and have a good long talk to him later. I'll take him to church. He likes church. Has a soothing effect upon him. Oh, he isn't at all a violent boy. I'm sure he didn't start the fire. You don't believe he did? Do you, do you, Miss Rose? No. No, I'm quite sure that he didn't. Oh, thank goodness for that. Well, I'll be getting a bit more work. I'll talk to Pat after church. And I'm sure I can get him to give me a description of the man he saw. Would you like another pot of tea? Holmes and I spent a pleasant morning walking along the seashore. As we returned, we passed the church and noticed Anne Geary talking to a group of her friends. Pat Boyce, neatly dressed, stood respectfully to one side. Later, they walked off in opposite directions. Anne wasn't present at lunch. And it was late afternoon, while we were smoking our pipes in the back garden of the inn, before we saw Pat Boyce again. He suddenly appeared in the most terrible state of excitement, crying and stuttering and throwing his arms about. Gracie, what is it? What's happened back now? Calm down. Calm down, my boy. He's trying to tell us something. He's pointing. Pointing over there across the field. Wasn't there something seriously wrong? This boy's in a dreadful state. Let him take us over there. Convince him that we will follow him. I did my best. Pat seemed to understand and ran ahead pausing and pointing and waving while we hurried after him. Some half-mile across the fields, he stopped and pointed to a disused shed. He refused to go near. When Holmes and I entered... There's nothing in here. This hut isn't used for anything. Wait. Look, Watson, look there, on those sacks. It... It's Anne Geary. Oh, great heavens, Holmes. Blood. A head she... She's been most brutally murdered. News spread over the district at lightning speed. The whole of Lulworth Cove was in a state of panic, and people streamed towards the police station. Inspector Gavin called for more men from Dorchester and Weymouth. There was a general clamour for the arrest of Pat Boyce, but Holmes would have none of it. It's clear to me, Gavin, that Anne was murdered by the arsonist. Now, young Pat is not responsible for those fires. To start with, he hasn't the natural guile or intelligence to work out when to start the fires and be unobserved. Added to that, there is proof that they were intended to disguise a burglary. Pat Boyce could never steal valuable property and hope to dispose of it. No, no, the answer does not lie with him. Then who is responsible, Holmes? And why was Anne Geary killed? She was killed because she got part of the truth out of young Pat. And the arsonist became aware that she knew too much. Yes, I think it's time we had another talk to the man Alex Hall, Gavin. Perhaps you can arrange for him to visit Mr. Spaulding's home and talk there. Shall we say it just before eight this evening? Can you organize that, Gavin? Inspector Gavin was able to organize the meeting. I think we were all surprised, including William Spaulding. But he made us very welcome. Well, gentlemen, this is a great pleasure. You knew her well, didn't you, Mr. Hall? Not as well as I should have liked. Uh, she was in love with someone else. She told me, sir. I don't know who it was. Perhaps you can tell us, Mr. Spaulding. Uh, me? Why, why, no, no, of course not. I, I liked the woman, but there was no... Wait a moment. Listen. The clock's striking. But I, I know that sound. The chimes, they, they're like... They're like the clock that belongs to Major Higgins. Where is it coming from? From above. A grandfather clock in an attic? Odd, don't you think? 
Can you show us the rest of your house, Mr. Spalding? Every room, please. You don't, uh, look, look, look here. You, you've no right. Oh! Upstairs in an attic, they found many objects of value. Silver, fine old china, and pieces of period furniture. Amongst which was the grandfather clock. Spalding admitted to the thefts and to the crime of arson, but denied killing Anne Geary. But Holmes said... He will break down under cross-examination. He's clearly mentally disturbed. I suspected him the moment he took over the chairmanship of that committee. He was able then to know the exact movements of the fire guards. He was also clearly on intimate terms with Anne Geary. She was the only one who called him William, and he called her Annie. I think there'll be no more troubles in Lulworth Cove after this, thank goodness. Thanks to you, Mr. Holmes. Oh, no, no, I don't want my name mentioned at all. This is your first successful case, isn't it? Congratulations. Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson.